and welcome to the Church Society podcast. I'm Ros Clark, I'm the Associate Director of Church Society and I'm your host here on these podcasts. Last week uh, in the podcast we heard from two of the main sessions at the recent Church Society conference and this week I promised that we would be hearing from the third. This was a panel discussion rather than a talk. On the panel were Lee Gatiss, Director of Church Society, Rod Thomas, Bishop of Maidstone and now the President of Church Society, Paul Darlington, a Vicar of Holy Trinity in Oswestry and a member of Church Society Council. Paul's also the Rural Dean uh, in Oswestry, although, as he mentioned uh, in the panel discussion, it's a small deanery and getting smaller all the time. And finally, Martin Young, uh, Vicar of St Andrew's Church in Norwich. I was chairing the discussion and I by I began by asking all the panellists what they saw as both the greatest obstacles to flourishing of gospel ministry within the Church of England today, as well as the greatest opportunities. So we start with Paul Darlington. So I, th I think the thing that is the greatest obstacle is that the so many in various positions of authority in the Church of England have simply lost confidence that the straightforward biblical gospel of forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name is enough to transform the world. It means that the stuff that comes from the centre has not grown out of a confidence in the gospel. So it might be good management and it might be good financial prudence and, and so on. It might be all sorts of things that come from the centre, but it hasn't grown out of a confidence in the gospel. That means that we don't really understand it and they don't understand us for rod the problem was also fundamentally a spiritual one not just in the church but in the nation as a whole i mean there are massive obstacles in living in a secular society and 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 remembering that the key issue is uh, spiritual blindness um and therefore you know i could say the biggest obstacle is um, lack of prayer uh, on the part of god's people to open blind eyes um, uh, I can think of another obstacle and that is evangelicals persuading themselves they've been defeated before they have been um, because that inhibits them and prevents them going for things that notion of evangelicals having given up before they even started is one that Lee also brought out in his answer I would say there's a lack of faith in the Church of England on behalf of us as evangelicals we don't trust them we think there's a lamentable credibility gap between this official rhetoric of we want you to flourish and what we see on the ground and how that feels to us. Um, so there's a lack of faith, of trust in the Church of England establishment that they really do want us and that they're not about to try and make life as difficult as possible for us. So, I mean, that's patchy across the country. I realise that some dioceses are better than others and I rejoice in that, but as a whole, we have this lack of faith and uh, trust in them. And that's not our problem, that's theirs, <laughs> to, to sort out. They need to prove their credibility. So that's lack of faith, lack of hope. Well, just like you say, we, just so many young guys now just say, well, what's the point? What's the point with the Church of England? And so we either just give up and walk away and do something else, do another job, not ministry, um, go to another kind of church, a FIC, Baptist church, something like that. So we just give up altogether. Or our lack of hope 
expresses itself as impatience in what we're doing. We don't have the patience to say, okay, I'm going to be here 12, 13 years, and I'm going to turn this church around. No, we, we want somewhere now that is good and is like we want it, so that we will go to that kind of church and no other. Finally, Martin talked about a particular problem which many evangelicals around the country have faced when trying to apply for clergy posts. Yeah, I mean, there, there are so many obstacles to the gospel, aren't there? Um, I, I think uh, one of the things that uh, connects with uh, what Bishop Rob was saying earlier that I've seen recently is the way that uh, mutual flourishing uh, does, at least in our neck of the woods, um, tend towards that corralling into, uh, in, into particular parishes. So uh, there are two ways uh, I think that's happened. One is with um, someone who's a conservative evangelical and who uh, would take a complementarian position, uh, they are told that it wouldn't be appropriate for them to apply to a particular church and they can see that they're uh, just not going to get a, a look in um, because that church currently isn't complementarian. Now, I, I know a particular instance where uh, the church actually had no position on it and the previous vicar actually said to uh, somebody else in the high up in the diocese, uh, it wouldn't be a problem for them. Uh, but I, I think there was something of a, a projection from senior figures onto that church that it, it would be a problem uh, for them, for somebody to be, to be appointed. And so mutual flourishing can just mean it's fine for you to flourish in your own little plant pot, but you can't uh, then move out to someone else's. Um, likewise, there's been what uh, you might call um, liberal facts put on the diocesan ground, and uh, maybe this happens in other people's areas, where there are churches where there are uh, uh, relationships, same-sex relationships, uh, that the church says uh, need to be supported by an incoming incumbent, or, and even where there are uh, curates and so on who are in same-sex relationships who need a sympathetic incumbent. And so uh, I know, actually know three places within the last year where an evangelical was uh, put off from applying because they wouldn't be able to take a sympathetic, supportive approach to the same-sex relationships going on there, even if they were actually uh, fine to run with the bishops, House of Bishops' own guidance on it. So there seems to be a, a, a limitation of evangelical ministry growing into new areas because of that. Well, before it all became too much doom and gloom, I did also ask them what they saw as the greatest opportunities for the gospel flourishing within the Church of England. This is what Lee had to say to that. The official faith of the Church of England, our, our official doctrine, that is legally enshrined in our documents and that we all say we agree with when we, we got ordained, it's ours. I mean, if I was to read out to you the 39 articles you would see that is evangelical doctrine. That is what we believe. And lots of people in the church hate it um, because they know that it's ours. And that's why they, they ignore the 39 articles. But that's ours. And the official worship um, and everything of the Church of England is ours. It's evangelical. And that gives me hope because as long as that is there and there is a preaching ministry, people taking that doctrine and, and taking their stand on the scriptures, 
there's hope um, and there's there's a possibility of something happening. So Rod then reminded us of the huge privileges available to us serving in gospel ministry in this country. Um, I would say that uh, we um, overlook the tremendous resources that we have within the Church of England and amongst, amongst evangelicals. Um, I remember when Vaughan um, gave the Bible readings at um, Gafcon in Jerusalem in 2008, and a number of people you know, were saying after us, that was amazing. You know, we haven't heard preaching like that before. And, and the person they sent it to said, well, it's pretty standard in the UK. Um, well, I, I think that's wishful thinking, frankly. But, you know, um, you know, even so, even so, you know what he's getting at. We, um, I'm amazed by the quality of preaching that comes out of Oak Hill, even Wycliffe, you know. Um, you, you, <laughs> it's so much better than when I came out of Wycliffe. I, I couldn't <laughs> preach, but these guys, they come, and they're just brilliant from, right from day one. Um, so we've got, we've got fantastic uh, preparation through all sorts of things, through Cornhill, through Proc Trust, mm. through many other ways. We've got b brilliant resources that others in other countries don't have. And given that we've got all that... You know, it just behoves us to put it to use. Of course, the evangelistic potential, as Rod mentioned in his talk, is a huge uh, opportunity for gospel ministry in the Church of England. It, it, it's a great open goal, really. Um, I have a friend who uh, was a pastor in an Ichthus church, and it's a very large and successful sort of central London uh, church, and he left... Um, because he saw uh, people just wandering in to the local Anglo-Catholic church up, up the road, just off the streets. And, um, and he was sort of working his heart out, trying to get people uh, to even engage, you know, come to his church. But uh, people naturally sort of put off it by feeling that it's alien. But the, uh, the, the whole thing of being an established church and having an established place in the community is incredibly powerful. Uh, we, uh, I've been a governor at a local CV primary school for about 10 years. I've just stepped down, but uh, there's a very strong Christian ethos there, uh, really fantastic Christian assemblies, very clear, you know, you'd come out with your you know, fist pumping, you know, because you'd heard the, the gospel. And, um, and one of the parents there, because obviously most of the parents aren't Christian, one of the parents there complained on Facebook, our kids shouldn't be subjected to this religious claptrap. And, and all the other non-Christian parents piled in on Facebook against this parent, saying it's a church school, this is what you should expect, it's a great school, they're doing a, a terrific job. So there's an enormous amount of positive cultural capital for us to build on and engage with out there. I just minister, the opportunity, I mean, I just minister on the basis that the parable of the sower is still true. That's the opportunity. Now, the, the, the support for that is that I made vows before God at ordination, and the bishop has sent me to the parish I'm in, and he's basically said, go and fulfill those vows in that parish. And now, whatever he thinks that might mean, I know what it means, and he can't stop me doing that. <laughs> and nor can the PCC. So the, 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 the polity of, of the Church of England is a massive opportunity for us if we can get in post. Now, clearly, there's struggles getting in post. But once you're there, there literally is nothing 
to stop us with God's courage and his strength from being faithful gospel ministers. At this point, we opened up uh, questions to the floor and the discussion was very wide ranging. Uh, Everything from how the church should respond to increasing levels of suicide, to the issue of Freemasonry, patronage. And we're going to begin with a question asking about how lay people specifically can be involved in uh, flourishing gospel ministry within the Church of England? Um, Well, it's just the first point from this morning, again, the evangelism. I mean, we flourish as a church not because we're doing well in the system of the Church of England, but because we are looking for those three or four people every year in our area that can join our church because they believe the gospel because we call them to repentance. So make the most of all our social networks, whether that's a real social network with real people or some sort of online social network. Use all your social networking, online, real life, whatever, to, to try and extend the gospel. And then get behind every program, every possible thing happening in your church that is trying to do that. Rod, you mentioned the importance of General Synod and yeah. House of Laity. Is there anything else you want to... Well, can, can, can I say that, that um, uh, the laity are going to be absolutely key to defending the church's doctrinal position? Um, that means we've got to get people elected to deanery synods. I mean, I know most people don't get elected. They're just sort of the, the <laughs> people that fail to step anyone. back fast yeah. enough. Um, um, you know, but we, we, we need to sacrifice some good people to be on deanery synods. Um, when they get there, they need to be supported by others in church. So the PCC needs to take an interest in the deanery events and ask questions about it and and then being on the deanery synod they are in a position to vote for general synod representatives because that that's the voting population Um, and they can help by getting around other deaneries to support somebody who's standing for election and actually go and visit people and talk to them about the candidates so that they can be helped Uh, don't forget as well that within individual churches that the wardens are key people um, they are um, they uh, they they need huge support um, because their their position uh, and the and the calls they sometimes have to make are crucial um, not only just for interregna but also just generally in terms of advising ministers and heading off trouble um, you know so I, I would just say at every level um, you know then we need to be supporting one another Great. What about in parishes? Martin, do you want to um, say something about that? Yeah, well, I think, I think um, the, the growth of the church, the flourishing uh, of the church, uh, comes out of the word, principally, doesn't it? And what, uh, what I long for in my church is that people have got a firm grasp of the gospel and are living it out and are able to discern good from evil and the true spirits from... Uh, the, the false, as it were, and are able to pass that on. So Paul, writing to Timothy, says, you know, what you've learned from me, pass on to other faithful men who are in turn able to pass it on to others. And so I would um, encourage anyone to consider who are you, um, who are you learning from and who, who are you teaching, who are you discipling and passing the gospel on to. So when I leave my church, whenever that should be, then its future 
really depends on how firmly the gospel is rooted in people's lives and uh, to what extent they've, they've passed it on to others. So that's our task, to be enabling that uh, Psalm 1 flourishing and growth, or the Ephesians 4 flourishing and growth through passing on the word to one another. Absolutely. Um, not nothing to add really other than say in some ways I'd, I'd pass the question back and say what, what would what would you like to do in order to make some flourishing happen and then that opens the conversation then because I think uh, forcing people to do stuff that they just don't fancy some people are good at that they make the sacrifices and they manage to get their heart into it but not everybody will do that but if somebody comes up to me and says um, uh, I'd love to go and plant a church in the next door parish. <laughs> then there's something to work with in terms of flourishing. So I think I think it's don't be shy in letting the minister know or the PCC know what you think it is that might make stuff flourish. Because we're we're just institutionalised. So you know we need we need help with that. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's right. The bishops are actually, um, they know how to cajole and intimidate clergy. So they know the buttons to press in their conversations with us to, to intimidate us. Um, so we need the lay people in our churches to get behind us and to be pushing us and encouraging us, going with us when we need to have difficult conversations with bishops. Um, that's, that's all they be because I think they're intimidated by them. But as Peter Jensen, Archbishop of Sydney, former Archbishop of Sydney once said, there is nothing which scares a bishop more in the whole world than Alison Ruoff. A, <laughs> a well-educated Protestant laywoman. Yeah. On which note, if you're a layperson listening to this, please feel empowered to go and speak to your minister about the things which you feel passionate about, the kind of ministry uh, in whatever context it is that you think the Lord might be calling you to do or the needs that you can see in your community that the church might be fi um, fulfilling. Uh, as uh, the clergy on the panel said, it's very easy for them to become institutionalised, to get set in their ways, to see only particular ways of doing things. And often it is somebody outside of that system coming in and saying, well, why don't we try this? I've got an idea for something. I'd love to do it. Then, and those are very often the things which God really blesses, uh, where we see real fruit uh, being born. So do do that. Uh, we at Church Society feel very passionately about encouraging uh, and resourcing and supporting lay people in their ministry as well and we hope that you will find some of our resources uh, helpful to you in the things that you want to be involved in. The conversation uh, as I said was quite wide-ranging and we're going to take a question now about Anglican distinctives. The question was asked about students for example who move to uh, university towns and indeed other people moving to different towns but finding churches which are not Anglican but yet seem to uh, fulfil their needs, perhaps have livelier worship or more uh, different meetings for students, more food for students. And people uh, who have come from Anglican churches don't necessarily see any particular value 
in sticking with an Anglican church when they move? And so how can we do a better job of educating people about what is distinctive in Anglican churches and why those might be things worth seeking out in a new church? Um, yeah, it's been, been on my mind a little bit uh, recently. Um, we have, because uh, I'm Norwich University of the Arts chaplain, we, we've got a, a number of students in the chaplaincy. Um, most of them go to um, some of the very large, very charismatic, sometimes a little bit prosperity gospel churches around the city. And I've noticed that when they arrive in Norwich, uh, they're already linked up with one of those churches and someone back home has said, oh, you want to go to this particular church? And uh, they're already hooked into that. And whereas 20 years ago, they might well have thought of a church like ours or one of the other similar ones around, um, now we're not really on their radar. And so times have changed. Uh, we and the kind of... Uh, service that we have aren't really what they are used to and, and what, they're, the, what they're looking for. And so, uh, you know, that's a problem in a sense, but it does really stir me up because I'm actually really concerned for uh, the students who are going to churches, particularly if they've got a prosperity bent in that, those churches, and there's a, a huge... Um, emotional component mm. in in the services and not necessarily something uh, clear word-based that will satisfy the intellect as well as the heart and so I think there's a you know that really stirs me to teach the truth and to, and to recognize the value of what we offer as a, a reformed evangelical church so we uh, with some of our uh, students uh, we have a, a little a uh, group called Calvin and Breakfast, um, which is exactly what it says on the tin. And um, so we uh, sort of teach a little bit of Calvin, use a book called uh, Foundations of the Christian Faith by James Montgomery Boyce, goes through the institutes in a sort of modern uh, style, still a, a classic after a couple of decades. And, um, and I give them some croissants and, uh, and pan au chocolat and some coffee, and, uh, and they love it. And we have some great discussions. And so I think your question is, is a great one, and I've I plug in Anglican distinctives uh, as, as we go, because I think people really need it. And there's, if they wanted something slightly more distinctively Anglican than, say, Calvin... There's a book called Foundations of Faith, Reflections on the 39 Articles, and you could start a book, uh, you could start a, a group like that called Foundations of Faith and a Fry-Up. Oh, um, there you go. <laughs> but, I mean, it's, you do see, in, in all evangelical churches where there's good preaching... Any church that I've ever been in like that, where there's good preaching, um, you always find people from other backgrounds coming to it. So in every church I've served in as an Anglican, there's been Baptists, Brethren, um, Presbyterians, people, because you can't find a church of their particular type in the area, but they know that you're going to preach the Bible and do expository preaching, so they'll come. And though the, the, the temptation in that situation is never to talk about the secondary issues mm. because we don't want to divide the congregation, so we never teach on infant baptism because we don't want to upset those people who are Baptists. But just because something's a secondary issue doesn't mean it's an unimportant issue and doesn't mean we can't have robust differences and teach clearly on it yeah. while saying, we'll keep this in perspective. It doesn't mean we're throwing you out of the church. Go on, Paul and then Rod. Um, if I had a quid for every time somebody had said, what are you doing in the Church of England? Um, I'd be a rich man. Um, 
I've found the annual meeting a really useful... Um, it's not like our annual meeting here. Um, our church annual meeting, the annual parochial church meeting, a really useful opportunity to talk about things like ordination vows and bishops licensing, because I can say this is what I'm here to do, to talk about historical, uh, political, legal situations, so the worship and doctrine measure, is that 73 or 74? I can't remember. 1974, is it? Um, to talk about how it is that our doctrine is determined and what is allowed and what isn't allowed. So I've, I've taken opportunities in the annual meeting to do that because it was those sorts of things are a little bit tricky on a Sunday uh, in a sermon. Uh, and I found that a useful way of saying, look, here is a brilliant setup for gospel ministry which we can milk if we want to. And that, that's helped the Baptists and the, the free church folk to, to understand why we're actually liberated for gospel ministry in the Church of England. Um, I want to say that I'm an Anglican evangelical rather than an evangelical Anglican. Um, so I would, put, I would want to put gospel ministry first and foremost, which I think is also Anglican, it's the Anglican way. But you, you said, what's the place of teaching, particularly for young people, about Anglicanism? And I think the answer is, it comes in sort of uh, secondarily as you explain the gospel to people. So the focus is on the gospel, and then you can explain why you do things a certain way and how it stems from your convictions expressed yeah. in an Anglican way. Great. I mean, I, I want to also just mention that it is possible to preach through the 39 articles. John Simmons, do you have any comments on, on how and why you might do that? Yes, one at a time, consecutively. <laughs> For 39 weeks in a row, is that how it works in your church? I think we combined a couple. Okay. And, and was that well received by your congregation? Oh, yes. There you go. So that's, a, that's another possibility. Well, it was a good discussion and as I say we covered many more topics than we have time to share here on the podcast. I hope those of you who were able to be there really found it as helpful as I certainly did uh, hearing both the questions that were on people's minds and the kind of concerns that people have as well as the panel's answers and other contributions from the floor. The whole conference, as I said uh, in last week's podcast, was just a really exciting uh, time of coming together, of uh, voting at the AGM in a way to express our evangelical unity in the Church of England and the conference itself helping us to focus our minds on how uh, gospel ministry can continue to flourish despite the obstacles that we know are there. Nobody was pretending that it is straightforward being a conservative evangelical in the Church of England today. Nobody's pretending that those obstacles don't exist. But as Rod says, sometimes we have a defeatist attitude that um, becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. The Church of England's doctrine is ours, as Lee told us, and the Church of England, therefore, is worth fighting for. And it was exciting to see so many people there uh, at Oak Hill that day really committed not just to being in the Church of England, but to contending for the faith of the Church of England. If you're listening to the podcast and you think that's something that you are committed to, um, please do consider joining Church Society if you're not already a member. 
members get our quarterly magazine Crossway sent to them. You also receive regular email newsletters and updates. Uh, there are discounted rates for attending the Church Society Conference, the Renew Conference and the Jake Conference and also I think the Fellowship of Word and Spirit Conference. There you go. Uh, obviously, uh, as things move forward with the merger, we may not be holding all of those conferences in quite that form, but there will certainly still be discounted rates. Plus, if you've been persuaded uh, by Rod's uh, pleas for us to be more prayerful in the Church of England, uh, you will receive the Church Society Prayer Diary uh, and prayer updates, which will help you to do that in a more informed way. If you're thinking about becoming a member, do go to our website and you'll see the various different rates uh, and concessions available for subscribers. On the podcast next week, I'm talking to a number of people who are or who have recently been ministry trainees in different churches around the country. I'll be talking to them about their experiences and also their advice for anyone considering taking on such a role in the future. So if that's something that might apply to you or something that you might think about uh, having someone in that kind of role at your church, do tune in again next week. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.